Welcome to a special edition of Gospel Truth with Andrew Womack, a teaching ministry that focuses on God's unconditional love and grace. On today's broadcast, in celebration of Black History Month, Andrew is joined by David and Tim Barton as they discuss the numerous black heroes of America. History is a lot more diverse than we realize. It's just that we don't know the stories yeah. and the diversity of our history. See, we, we give dates, names, and places today. We don't give stories yeah. and people. We don't tell the stories. And now, here's Andrew. Today, I'm continuing interviewing David Barton and Tim Barton, and we've been talking about heroes, black heroes in American history. Most people haven't heard these things. I never have. I tell you, this has been blessing me and inspiring me. You are going to be blessed. So stay tuned as I interview David and Tim Barton on today's Gospel Truth. How do you guys find this stuff? Um, <laughs> a lot of times it's... It's, it's providential yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously, we stumble across it. I mean, really, God, God drops a thought of, hey, look for this, and you see a name, and you're like, well, who is this? because there were tens of thousands of people. We don't know all their names, but when you start looking at their stories, you're blown away. For example, one of my favorite stories from the American Revolution is a guy named James Armistead. James Armistead was a slave. James Armistead was someone- He's in Virginia. That during the course of the revolution, when, when Lafayette, Marquis de Lafayette, the 19-year-old French major general comes to America, Lafayette is a, a very strong anti-slavery guy. And Lafayette, as many Americans wanted to be with Lafayette because the Americans were so underfunded and didn't have the supplies and munitions. And Lafayette was funding his own troop. And so they thought- He well, funded we bringing the French Navy to America. He funded bringing, bringing the French military to America. I mean, if it hadn't been for Lafayette and the funding and what he did, we would we might not have won well, the revolution. And, the guys and he fought. was depicted in what, the Patriot movie? He's in the Patriot movie. Yeah. Um, he's, he's in several movies. He is just a superb guy. He was 19 years old. So a 19-year-old general, he was one of Washington's top generals, just a good guy. Well, and so people did want to be with him. It really, he was reported to be a really great guy, but financially, that was probably also an incentive that we actually would have guns and bullets and that would be great to fight a war with. Well, one of the guys who ended up being with him was James Armistead. James at the time was a slave, but James Master had told him, if you fight, several people in Southern states would do this, right? If you would fight in the revolution, then you can have your, your freedom at the end because ultimately they wanted to, to win freedom for America. So he was told by his master, if you fight, you can have your freedom at the end. So James goes and he fights. He's teamed up with Lafayette and Lafayette tells James, looking at the American revolution, he says, the Americans are so outmatched. They don't have the guns, the supplies, the munitions. This is really not going to be good. And in the course of their conversation, the idea comes up, what we really need is better intel on the British. We need to know where they're going and when they're going to be and how many men, because if we had better intelligence, we might be able to fight against them. And so James volunteers to go as a spy in the British camp, but he's going to pretend to be an escaped slave. So getting away from the Americans and joining the British, because at the time, both the British and the Americans were telling the slaves, hey, if you fight for us, we'll give you freedom. And so he said, I'll just pretend like I'm going, you know, defecting to the British. So he goes to the British camp and starts serving in the British camp, but he's listening, trying to gather as much intel as he can. He's sending word back to get to Lafayette, who's given word on to Washington. Well, while he's in the camp, he does such a good job serving that the officers in the camp saw him serving and thought, now, a guy that good shouldn't be serving common men. He should be serving the officers. So he was brought in and became the personal assistant to the officers, actually. Drum roll, here, became, a little suspense. Became the assistant of Benedict Arnold, who was the famous American trader. The famous trader has now got a spy 
from the other side that's in his camp. The spy has a spy. The spy has a spy. (laughs) Armistead is in the officer's tent hearing all of the plans. Arnold is is one of the top generals, and he's with all the other generals. They're making plans on all the battles, and and James is hearing all this and registering away. So James is getting information back to the Americans. The Americans are now able to start gathering people in the right places at the right times, and the British recognize this isn't this isn't good that the Americans are actually winning some of these battles, some of these skirmishes. And the British officers were smart enough to go, what we need is to figure out what the Americans are really doing. We, we need someone that can go and find out what's happening in the American camp. Where are they going to go? Because we, we just need to squash this whole thing. But the question came up, well, who are we going to send to the American camp? And they turned to James Armistead. They said, James, we have a favor to ask you, right? And I mean, you can just imagine how this probably played out. And James is probably, oh, guys, don't send me oh, back. I hate the Americans. Right? Don't send me oh. back. And the British officers tell him, we'll consider it a personal favor. We will take care of you, right? We will take such good care of you if you'll do this for us. So he agrees to go to the American camp and spy for the British. Now, he's just pretending to spy for the British. He's actually spying for the Americans. He's the first double spy in American history. James Armistead is credited with helping get some of the intelligence. The last major battle of the revolution was the Battle of Yorktown, where we defeated Cornwallis. James Armistead is credited with getting some of that intelligence that went to Washington that allowed us to bottle up Cornwallis and win the revolution. What's huge. He's given the bad information to the British, good information to Americans. We give them bad information, get them in the wrong place. We get to that wrong place. It's That's awesome. Just, so, pivotal role right there. And well, what's huge is right, you can make a very strong argument that the Americans never could have defeated Cornwallis had it not been for James Armistead, which then makes the American Revolution super interesting. Because if you look at, at when did the American Revolution really start? Well, the Boston Massacre is what a lot of people would credit with stirring up a lot of the frustration of the Americans. Well, who was the first person killed at the Boston Massacre? Crispus Attucks, who was a black man who had escaped from slavery and now was fighting against the British, very, very frustrated. So the revolution starts with the death of a black man. The revolution is concluded because of the work of a black man, arguably without black Americans. The revolution never takes place and would not have happened the way it did. We wouldn't have had the victory, arguably, had it not been for the role of many of these heroes. But to your point, when saying he was from Virginia, what became interesting is Lafayette does give him credit for getting the intel and helping come up with what we did to defeat Cornwallis. So Lafayette is, when he he, he is leaving America, um, George Washington says, Lafayette, you've done so much. There's, there's no way we could fully repay you. Is there anything we can do? And this is such a cool thought because Lafayette says, well, I just, I want a bucket. We, we offered him several hundred thousand acres of land in America because we, wow. we just, there's no way to pay him. We didn't have the cash. He's the one who funded us, but we will give you a huge place in America, hundreds of thousands of acres. And Lafayette said, no, the only thing I want is a bucket of dirt. And you think, why did you want a bucket of dirt? He says, because that's free dirt, and I want to take freedom back to France, which was his thought. Now, that's all his payment was, was a bucket of free soil. What's also really cool is Lafayette adopts Armistead. So James Armistead's name becomes James Armistead Lafayette. So James is now a free guy, except the laws of Virginia said that his master was now no longer allowed to free him. So Lafayette wrote to the legislature and said, you are the dumbest bunch of whatevers, right? The only reason you are free is because of this man. You give this man his freedom. And the legislature took a vote 
and they voted to go ahead and grant him his freedom. Now consider that owners couldn't free their slaves. The legislature had to individually free slaves. Uh, mentioned that at Robert, least in the state of Virginia, that's the way it was in yeah, the situation. Virginia is a weird state, but I mentioned Robert Carter had had the 700 slaves freed uh, when, when he became a Christian Great Awakening. 70 years later, the slaves still weren't free because state of Virginia wouldn't wouldn't let it go through. Now, so it is, the coolest part about the James Armistead story is, was it 1820? 1824. 1824. Why don't you finish this part? 1824, Lafayette is an old man. And there, I mean, Lafayette is a hero in America. He's like up there with George Washington, Ben Franklin. And so Lafayette is now old, elderly. He knows that he, if he's going to see his friends in America, he's got to go do it. And so he gets to America on his farewell tour. And as he goes through, and I mean in America, he's been the, the hero of all the kids in textbooks since the American Revolution. They all talk about Lafayette. And so everywhere he went in America, along the roads, people were lined up shoulder to shoulder, really deep. And it was just cheering crowds. And I don't know that we can imagine uh, the high percentage of the nation that turned out to see him. You know, it's massive crowds. And as he's going through Richmond, he hadn't been here in 40 years. He's going through Richmond, he looks up and he sees James Armistead 40 years later, crossed the crowd, pointed at him, stopped his, stopped his, um, the caravan was going. Caravan's going, the parade, stopped the parade, ran over there, grabbed and hugged. I mean, it's just such a good picture uh, of stuff we don't, and you know. And so after he embraced James, he invites James to come back with yeah, him. That's right. And finish this parade and caravan right at a position of honor. Because, right, Lafayette's recognizing, no, bro, without you, right, w w without what you did, America never would have happened. I wouldn't be celebrated. You get up here with me. So literally, this is the hero who's being honored, even by Lafayette, 40 years later in the midst of this parade. Let That's me throw awesome. in another, another awesome. fun story, American Revolution. It's another intrigue kind of story. In the early part of the revolution, man, we were just getting our, our, our tail kicked by the British. We just, we didn't win battles along the early parts hardly at all. We won some, but not many. And so we get in the situation of where the American second in command has been captured by the British. And we really need our second in command because we're just not a military people. And so the, the deal is, if you're gonna get the second in command, you need to have a prisoner exchange, which means we need their second in command. And so we found out where their second in command is and Colonel Charles Barton out of uh, Rhode Island area, he comes with a plan. It's kind of the first SEAL team mission. Now, it's significant also where the British second in command was because he's more or less on an island surrounded by the British fleet. It's in, it's in Rhode Island. It is a, it is a island with a for, fortress on the island surrounded by the entire British fleet. And, and so William Barton has got this thing. Yeah, so, so Colonel Barton calls the troops in and says, guys. Is this any relative to you? I wish it was. We have not been able <laughs> to prove it was. Yeah, we haven't been able to prove it was. You know but all of this about everybody else and you don't we even don't know your own Our yeah. story is not as important as their story. That's so, right. Yeah, so Colonel Barton calls all, all his troops in and says, guys, because of where this officer is, because of the fleet that's surrounding it, we're going to have to go at night in rowboats and we're not going to be able to take guns because if we fire a shot, the whole British fleet is going to turn on us and kill us. So we have to go in under radar, right? No guns. He says, and because of this, I'm not going to demand anybody go. I only want volunteers. So I would like to ask for anybody who wants to go with me. I need 40 guys to pull off the mission. We're gonna do 40. this mission. So of the 40 guys, 
20 white guys volunteered and 20 black guys volunteered. Among these, many of the, the majority were free blacks who volunteered for this, but... Because Rhode Island is not Virginia, it's not the South. So, so many blacks in the North were free. Massachusetts, there never was a time when blacks could not vote. I mean, there's just so many civil rights that, that are in the North that are not in the South. But as Colonel Barton gets his 40 men, he says, okay, so here's how we're gonna have to do this. We get rowboats and, and the paddles, the oars, they actually wrapped rags around them to try to make them more quiet in the Mu- water. They call them mufflers. They put mufflers around the ends of the oars so they're paddling. So they have to row p- through past the British fleet to get to the island. When they get on the island- So they're doing this like midnight, two o'clock, you know, early morning. They have to go and, and right, you have to get past the century. So you knock out, you should do the century. Then you have to get into the fort. Once you're in the fort, you have to now find the officer's quarters. They get to the officer's quarters. And by the way, one of the guys in the front ship right up front was a black guy named Jack Sisson. So Jack Sisson is, is right up in the front rowboat. He's helping lead this all these boats that are going through. And apparently Jack Sisson was a man of great stature, um, right? Maybe some kind of NFL linebacker today, some big old boy. And so they get to the officer's quarters. And well, they first knock out all the British guards because British didn't think anybody would try something this audacious. And so they knock out all the British guards, get them all tied up. And then they go to the, the officer's quarters because that's where the general is. The second in command of the British is back there and they got to get him. But when they get there, the door is bolted from the inside. And they, they go oak, oak barricade on the inside. They realize, right, we, we don't have time like, to wait for him to wake up and come out. We can't just knock. If he sounds any kind of alarm, the rest of the British troops are going to come on us. We got to get in there quick. And as they're trying to resolve, how do we get through this door? Jack Sisson just tells everybody to get out of his way. Jack Sisson, like a true football player, lowered his head and shoulder and charged the door. He hits the door, knocks the door off the hinges. Cast the, those steel hinges, those, those cast hinges. Breaks the door to the inside. When he gets inside, he continues running on finds the British officer. Uh, there's, there's a couple different reports. He subdued the officer. One says that he open hand smacked him. One says he punched him. Either way, one hit and the officer was out. He knocked him out. It then says that he picked him up and threw him on his shoulder and told the troops, all right, guys, let's go back to the boats. And he led all the men back to the boat wow. carrying the officer. Wow. They get back. They're able to get off the island, get back. They work out the prisoner of war exchange. None of this. Right. In theory, could have happened without Jack Sisson, who is certainly a hero in the midst of this. But this is where when we start studying history and, and we're just reading the stories. You realize that history is a lot more diverse than we realize. It's just that we don't know the stories yeah. and the diversity of our history. See, we, we give dates, names and places today. We don't give stories yeah. and people. We don't tell the stories. You know, let me let me take a little break here and just say, how did history get to where it is just facts and things like this and not stories like this? What's happened to our education? There's a couple of things is, you know, quite frankly, if I am evolving, there's nothing I can learn from 100 years ago. I mean, tell me anybody a hundred years ago that had smart devices, that had any electronics, that had cars, I can't learn anything from them. And so if you're always evolving in your mentality, there's nothing you can ever learn from history. Now, I believe that principles never change across time and the principles always apply. That technology is different, but we fight the same issues, the same greed, the Human same Human nature doesn't change. It doesn't change. Right, biblical principles don't change. And this history kind of acts as an anchor that holds you from just going off on That's these right. tangents. That's right, that's right. But because if you believe that human nature doesn't change, then I can learn from history. 
Now, if you believe that human, human nature changes, why don't we become socialists? Because every nation has done it, it's always done it wrong. We'll get it right this time because we've evolved further than they have. And I'll say, no, you'll get it wrong this time because you're applying principles that never work. You can tell me the principles of gravity evolve, but when you jump off the Empire State Building, you're still gonna die when you hit the ground. They didn't evolve. And so history comes from the viewpoint that you can learn from the past because things don't, technology changes, but principles don't. And therefore I can learn from the good and the bad and the ugly. I can see what things don't work. I can see what things do work and I can have heroes. And for me, I've got a lot of black heroes because I love their character. I love their, their strength. I, I love their courage and fortitude. I, I love the fact that, that Lemuel Haynes, who is the first black man to ever receive a degree of higher education in America, he is the first black man to have a sermon published in America. This guy right here, he was one of the Minutemen under George. Now are those Wilson. an actual sermon? Those are actual preached? sermons from Lemuel Haynes, signed by Lemuel Haynes at the top. So you aren't just saying these things. No. You got documentation. You can read this. I, I read this, and, and Lemuel Haynes, this guy right here. Uh, and by the way, th this picture here he is in the pulpit. Now this is from the founding era. This is from back in the 1780s. There, about this this picture of him. You can tell he's a black guy. Tell me what his crowd is down there. They look white. They're all there. white. He, as often happened many times in New England, the black preachers, white crowds, that was no problem, no issue at all. They didn't have the racism like we often think of in you the South. You know what you're saying, though? It's just completely different than the vast majority of people's opinion. They yeah. believe everything was total racist, that we blacks... Oversimplify. We oversimplify. Well, we, we just can't... We simplify. We also generally only learn the history from, like, the South Carolina perspective. Yeah. Where there were some really awful, terrible things that happened oh, in the South. I know there were. And, I mean, we you aren't denying that no. there no. was a lot no. of oppression. But we pretend like that's all there was. Instead of going, no, there was a lot more to this story. And, and one of the cool things that we also have... Are, are well, let, me, let me finish with Hayes real quick, because here, here's Haynes as a preacher. And, and I mean, he's done so many things. As a matter of fact, in his churches on George Washington's birthday, he preached a sermon about George Washington, his commander-in-chief. But when he preached a sermon, he would usually use 20 or 30 verses in each sermon, extemporary sermon, just pop off. And he would quote the verses, chapter and verse, and I go... That's cool. I want to I want to memorize Bible verses like Lemuel Haynes did. I don't care if he's black. I don't care if he's white. I don't care what color he is. I can learn from Lemuel Haynes. And so memorizing Bible verses like he did, where then in any meeting where he was talking, he could bring up Bible verses on any subject under the sun. I'm going, no, that's a cool guy. You know, for, for me, that's something I can emulate. And so I don't care what color they are. They've got character, you know, Jack Sisson. I love Jack Sisson's yeah. courage, what they did. Things like that. There's so many good things. And, and that's what the Bible, because quite frankly, I don't know what color most of these guys in the Bible were, and it really doesn't matter to me. You know, I, I don't know what color Samson was. There probably Samson weren't many was. that looked like us, but no, they're still they, heroes. They weren't Caucasians. Yeah. That's right. They weren't Caucasians. And it doesn't matter because I can learn. And so that's why, you know, for, for us, I, I do so many. It's, it's weird. I, I do a lot of black history events and I'm the only white guy in the room. And it'll be, you know, I spoke at a church of 8,000 blacks and I'm the only white guy in the building. And I'm doing black history. But it's because we don't know this stuff anymore. And, and when you pull out the documents and the stories, and you, yeah. you pull out the stuff. And so there actually were history books written just about some of the, the, the black heroes from American history. This is the, the Services of Colored Americans from the Wars of 1776 and 1812 by William Nell. William Nell is the first black man to hold a position in the federal government. He's a significant guy. What was the guy. date on that? The date was 1852 and 1855. He has two, two books here. Uh, William Nell right there. That is the man who wrote that book. And so here's this other book. Now this, this big book right here is one that is the 
Tim will read the title I'm right here. upside down. Yeah, sorry. It says, The Colored Patriots of the American Revolution. And this entire book was just about the heroes, the black heroes. That's not a thin book. From the American Revolution. Now, when was that published? 1855. This was yeah, 1855. Yeah, 1852 on this, and then he blew it up into a big book. And th this was 1812 and 1776. 1855, he blew it up and said, look at all the black heroes we have. We used to know these guys. It, I mean, there's, we have a lot of school textbooks from back in the 1800s that show, for example, that the hero of Bunker Hill, the Battle of Bunker Hill, was a black man, Peter Salem. He's right in there in the painting. Nobody ever pays attention to him today at all. So you say that this was in the original uh, schools. It was in schools. Kids studied this. So is this when, back when they started really, I mean, the conflict over slavery? No. 50s, is that when it was extracted from the schools? When no, was it before taken that. out of the schools? And by the way, this is the guy we're talking about. Peter Salem right here is the guy credited with saving hundreds of lives, the Battle of Bunker Hill, taking down the British uh, leadership. We, we studied him in school books. He was featured pictures throughout school books. It changed in 1902, actually 1901, 1902. So even up through the Civil War, people knew these black uh, heroes. Well, and, and this was one of the things that a lot of the abolitionists wanted to promote, right, was one of the arguments with slavery and racism has long been is that blacks are not as smart, they're, they're, right, they're not as developed, they're not as evolved, they can never do what we can do. And so part of what the abolitionists did is said, guys, <laughs> let me just show you a few heroes and this was something that a lot of Americans knew because abolitionists were working so hard to help get that message out there. And so this was very much common knowledge in much of America up to the Civil War period and even long after that. Well, let me ask you, was it was it in the school systems in the South? Because again, the South were the just... South, the South is, is a little different situation. It was in American school books and the South often had their own primers, uh, just like this, what's called the Slave Bible. The slave Bible was used in the South. It was the Bible given to slaves, except it took out the book of Exodus and the Exodus story, and it took out all the anti-slavery stuff. So they edited stuff in the South. But see this here, this is, this is a book done well after the Civil War. This is a Civil War guy, a black guy here, Joe Wilson. And this is a book just on the black heroes of the Civil War and the American Revolution. That's, That's got to be hundreds of oh, pages. It's, it's yes. Probably 500 pages in here. I mean, this is not as, we, we knew this. That's why it was in textbooks. But the change came in 1901 with this set. Now, there's actually five volumes in this set. We only brought one volume, but you can read it. It says the history of uh, the American people, Woodrow Wilson. Woodrow Wilson wrote that in 1901. And he said, here's the story president. of the American people. Five but, volumes. But before he was president, he was a professor. But because of this work, it was a five volume set, as you're mentioning, because of this, he began to get a lot of attention. And people said, this guy's so smart. Look what he did. Actually, there was a university who said, we think we'd like to have you as our president. It was Yale University. And it was, no, it was excuse Princeton. me, Princeton. I knew that. Uh, in New Jersey, it was the first time that Princeton had a president who was not a pastor over their university. He's the first guy to, to head Princeton that's not a clergyman. Now, what is significant, Woodrow Wilson became known to be a very racist person. Very, very racist. Um, under the Woodrow Wilson administration, when he was president, uh, you had the rebirth of the KKK. Woodrow Wilson, many of his staff members administration were out marching in the KKK marches through Washington, D.C. So he is supporting this. In fact, showed the very first ever film in the White House. He had two viewings of it, and it was The Birth of a Nation. This was done 
using this film as a recruiting film for the KKK. And he showed in the White House. a recruiting film for the KKK in the White House. So he's an incredibly racist person. But it's worse than that. The guy who wrote the script for the film used that book to write the script. Oh, wow. Used Woodrow Wilson's book to write the script for the Klan recruiting film that Woodrow Wilson then showed in the White House that brought back what we call the rebirth of the Klan, the second revival of the Klan. I tell you, we had an awesome interview with David and Tim Barton today, and it's going to continue all week long. And then David is going to stay with me another week, and we've recorded all of this and put it into this album. This actually contains not only the two weeks interview that I've, I'm doing here during Black History Month, but I also interviewed David Barton in, in 2009 and then again for two weeks in 2013. So you've got a total of six weeks of interview with them talking about history and a godly perspective on it. This is a great thing. I encourage you to get it. Listen to our announcer as he gives you more information about how you can receive this teaching on God and country. Today you saw a portion of Andrew's interview discussing Black History Month and the role Black Americans have played in America's history. This entire interview is available as part of the God and Country album, which also includes previous interviews with David Barton discussing America's godly heritage. God and Country is available in either a CD or DVD album made from our daily television broadcast. Each of these valuable resources is available for a gift of any amount when you contact us. We want to say a special thank you to the Grace Partners of Andrew Womack Ministries. Your gifts make it possible to put free ministry materials into the hands of many people in need. If you're not already a Grace Partner, we ask you to pray about becoming one today. You can become a Grace Partner or order resources through our website at awmi.net. While there, you can discover more product details and download additional free resources. Or call our helpline Monday through Friday from 4.30 a.m. to 9.30 p.m. Mountain Time at 719-635-1111. To write us, use the address on your screen. We appreciate your generosity and hope to hear from you today. I want to encourage you to check out a brand new program that we created at Gospel Truth TV. This is an original program with Tony Dungy and James Brown. They're both at the top of their game. Tony is an award-winning, Super Bowl-winning coach. Uh, James Brown is uh, at the top of his game announcing sports things. I mean, they are awesome men. They do an interview on Beyond the Game with JB and Tony is what we've entitled it. And they interview these sports figures and share things with you that usually get cut out on the secular networks. These sports figures are gonna share their heart with you about their relationship with the Lord. And I tell you, it'll be a blessing. So check it out, 9.30 a.m., 9.30 p.m., twice a day on Sundays on gospeltruth.tv. When I went to Men's Advance, just being in the room with lots of men of God is so powerful. You can't help but just feel just the power in the room. That's my favorite thing, the fellowship, to have uh, so many men lift up their hands and praise God. To me, it's that passion that gets reignited. Anytime that you're around a group of guys, man, it's where you have great speakers, men come together, where they get inspired uh, to be the men that God created them to be, husbands, fathers, sons. And it's pretty powerful. 
Ready to get more out of God's Word than ever before? We gladly announce the Andrew Womack Living Commentary. This continuously updated Living Commentary is now available exclusively as a download for both Mac and Windows at awmi.net. This is an early reminder for you to save the date of June the 29th through July the 3rd. Those are the dates of our Summer Family Bible Conference. This is one of the premier events that we host every year, and it's just going to be awesome. we got a special musical presentation on July the 4th, if you'd like to stay over for that. It's going to be a special time. Make plans to join us for the ministry to the entire family, June the 29th through July the 3rd.